Ben Hecht. Welcome to the best damn lunch and learn ever. We have an unbelievable show for you today. I have the wonderful and brilliant Ron Baker on the show. Thank you so much, Ron, for being with us. <laughs> he's so much fun. I actually met him recently at Camp Maverick, and he's unbelievable. I mean, you are a self mastery coach, a speaker, an author, bio um, energy healer. No, I was going to get that. <laughs> so, practitioner. He's guided clients from all around the world on a journey from survival and like consciousness to empower consciousness through self school of self mastery in New York since 1997. So tell us a little bit about that while, while we get into the, some of the other things we're going to talk about, but you know, how do we really dive into being consciously aware of who we are, what we need to be doing? <laughs> I know kind of threw that question out, but so could you let our, our audience great know? Way to start. I, first of all, thank you for inviting me to be here. It is a, a thrill to get to share with your audience. And relationships is something that I'm so passionate about. But in order to get to a conversation about relationships, what you just asked is perfect because most people don't have a clear map of self. Most people go through their lives doing the best they know how, but don't know how to improve the quality of life, which starts from the inside out which starts from the relationship you're having with yourself. So in order to set this up, I'd love to provide a little bit of a context and a simple map that I will refer back to for any of the questions that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And make sure you guys share, let us know that you're here so we can say hello and make sure you drop um, any of your questions for Ron um, in the comments. So I'll jump right in. Yeah, jump right in. So, as I paid attention to life and began working with clients with all that I was discovering, I would ask a bunch of leading questions about self. And I found that most people, would, when I would go describe your relationship to yourself, they would go, Tilt, what do you mean? So I came up with a simple, clear map that helps people understand not only the potentials of self, but the process of self. So what I mean is that there are three distinct levels of potential that we all hold. I'm gonna make it like the concentric circles of a target. So the center circle is the wonder of child consciousness. The next circle is the empowerment of adult consciousness. And then the third ring out is the greatness of soul consciousness but most people go through their lives and never integrate any of those three levels of potential. Why is that? The center circle needed, it was developed in the first eight years of our lives and it needed nine distinct levels of nurturing. And when we got those levels of nurturing, we would naturally open to receive and learn to trust that I matter, that I have value, and then we would learn to trust life and the flow through life. Then we would be educated how to go out. But because we've lived on a planet with such primitive education about self and nurturing, most of us didn't get these nine levels of nurturing. I know this from having taught thousands of people around the world. It is not even unique to the United States. It is a worldwide phenomenon. So what happens when we don't get that nurturing in the center of our being is we end up with fear, shame, and judgment about self. We personalize all of it. 
And so then we end up protecting and defending self. And then even though we grow into adult bodies, that does not remotely imply that we grow into empowered adult consciousness, which says, of course, I know who I am. Of course, I trust myself and my value. Of course, I'm aware of what my priorities and my needs are, and I know how to communicate, etc. Instead, we protect that center sense of self where we have a lot of self-doubt, and then we create a mask of who we think we need to be, and we present that in the world and stay frozen in wounded survival consciousness. And then we wonder why our relationships aren't working. So that's the context that I'd like to present for the starting place. No, I love that. I mean, it's so true, especially when the, the great point you make is too, we talk about generational um, love and, and how to be in relationships. Cause I think that if you don't have the tools or you don't know, and you keep making the same patterns of mistakes, because you're learning from your parents who learn from their parents. And it's it just this, so you got to tips to help <laughs> to yeah. break the patterns. Our nervous system is literally like the hard drive of a computer. So whatever our initial experiences are with mommy, daddy, which are our first two relationships or whoever your caregivers happen to be, we form that initial, this is what relationship is. And this is who I am within it. And it becomes a very frozen thing. So if we didn't get constantly seen and acknowledged and guided and nurtured in all those ways, then we don't trust our place of value in relationships. So that's all we have to draw from as we continue through life. And it usually ends up being so dang colored by the things that we want to hide, that we've decided are not lovable about ourselves, etc. Yeah, because that's true, too, because then, you know, I mean, being a fixer, I'm fixing being a fixer in relationships, right? Um, yeah, uh, but because, I mean, I know that it comes from a wound that I had when I was a child. Um, and so, I mean, but being able to recognize that and make this, the changes, I think some people are like, oh, everything's fine. Or they, you know, keep everything internally. And then they wonder why they're in these relationships that aren't, you know, necessarily the best fit for who they are. and. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because like you're talking about, we talked about this before, is a mommy-daddy replacement in adult relationships, right? Um, and I think that, I don't know if it's just how society has set it up, but I think that people think, oh, well, like you have this role, you're the mother, you mother the kids, but you mother me. So can we talk a little bit about, about your thoughts on that? Absolutely. So you threw out a whole bunch in that one statement. So I'll go back to our map and put it into a context. Okay. I love to introduce right away that the soul, which is the third ring out, and that's usually some spiritual disconnected concept for people. But if you consider that the soul part of us is in there from the beginning, I like to consider that we have a soul set up of our lifetime in those first eight years. And it presents the gifts and the challenges that we need to face in order to keep evolving ourselves, or even just on a practical level, learn to love starting with self, and then learn how to engage in relationships from that place of self-value. So when you talked about role-playing and being a fixer, just as one example of the kind of roles people learn, what happens is that in that center ring, when we're having our first decisions about self and life and how we fit in, 
if we truly don't feel nurtured so that we trust that we're an equal member of the family and that our needs are just as important as everyone else and we are constantly encouraged to share ourselves, et cetera, right. then when we don't get that, and literally I have never taught one person who got the nine nurturing needs at the levels they needed. And so what happens is we're personalizing it. And then when we start to quantify it and make decisions about it in the ages of five, six, seven, and eight, yeah. we end up saying, okay, how, how do I make this work? I want to stay connected. I want to be important. I want to be a part of everything. And so we literally decide as an example for the fixer, oh, I get it. My needs are not so important, but I can make your needs important, even if we don't have the vocabulary. I'll fit in by having a purpose, such as fixing you, helping you, being the caregiver. I'll figure out how to be, or the wiser wounded word would be the caretaker, where I'll come in because there are no adults who know how or seem to know how to fix the setup of the family. So in your case, you just admitted that you learned that role and how to come in and try and fix. But how wise are we at five, six, seven, and eight? And then if we don't have deeper education about how, then it usually boils down to, I'm gonna fix it by suppressing my needs and by trying to control things to avoid the feelings that we learned were threatening. Right. So I'll do anything to avoid conflict is one example. And it doesn't avoid conflict. It just buries and swallows the conflict. And then we don't really have a solution. Yeah, I think that's true, too. I mean, um, I mean, what would you say to some of the people? What steps can they take if they find themselves in that kind of role, like as an adult? Um, yeah, I guarantee you every person when they're establishing that mask of this is who I think I have to be and this is how I want to be seen. Let me give a different example so we can use two archetypes as we continue. Instead of the fixer, other people say, I'm going to become the super achiever and I'll be the one who just stays busy and proves myself over and over and it's going to be grand and amazing. What this typically comes from is having grown up in a family where nobody was focusing on my inner journey. Nobody was saying, wow, I see that you're feeling this or this, and I just want to affirm the qualities that you have. No one was acknowledging the inner essence of self. And yet, some parents will end up talking tons about the image and the achievement. And so people say, oh, that's what's of value for me. So I'm gonna figure it all out and I'll be impressive. And that's another role that people learn. Right. I guarantee you, everyone listening, including myself when I started out with all this, had embraced very distinct roles. Yeah. And we literally don't even know that that is not our most authentic self. We're so immersed in it and so convinced about it that we just literally wouldn't know how to slow down and interrupt it because I don't have any other alternatives is how we feel on the inside. So we become so connected to all that. So the first step, your question, the first step is to go, wait a minute, let me ask myself, am I truly fulfilled in what I'm doing so far? 
Do I love my life? Do I love my relationships? Am I truly fulfilled in the choices I'm making? Literally every person I've ever taught has had to admit, I am not deeply fulfilled because without a clear connection to the inner self, we cannot be fulfilled. We're looking for replacements for having an inner sense of self. And so no matter how much money I gather, no matter how impressive my achievements, I'm not fulfilled. Right, right. I can give an example from my own life that in my first career, I had a performing career before I shifted to all this personal transformation. And I was one of the lucky ones. And I got to perform over 60 leading roles in Broadway and opera all over the world. I performed with royalty and went to some of the most glamorous places in the world, meeting profound individuals, being with famous people and signing autographs. I was not fulfilled. I can tell you that. Uh, I was not fulfilled at all. Yeah, now, yeah. that doesn't mean I couldn't have been fulfilled if I also understood how to value and nurture myself on the inside. And so I eventually interrupted my career. I'm not suggesting everyone do that. But at least the first step is to interrupt and go, am I really fulfilled? And if you're not, there are clear places to go and get a map of a path to fulfillment, which is going to include, no matter where you look, some people may decide they want to explore some with me. I'm not remotely suggesting that I'm the only place someone could do that, but you need somewhere that encourages how to get in touch with your inner self, how to learn to connect to yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, and spiritually. That does not remotely imply religiously, but all of the facets of self, inner relationship, because that inner relationship is gonna color every other relationship in your life, period. And that is huge. So if you have a way to get in touch with your inner self in a way that's nurturing and enhancing and encouraging, then you can literally begin to be more fulfilled in every arena of your life. I mean, that's, that's so true because we talk about um, working with reflection in there, right? So working with that reflection in there, making sure you get on point before you start going into a relationship because I don't think a lot of people do that. I mean, you see that a lot too. Well, <laughs> I think based on not having been nurtured, that unless someone is looking in the mirror and going, yay, I can see that I'm a handsome or a beautiful face, and tons of people have told me that. Well, for me, looking in the mirror is not about evaluating your outer body. It certainly can include that, and how wonderful to value your physical self and to keep it in great shape and want to include your physical self. But when we really talk about looking at the mirror, external too, and you look at the whole thing, the whole person in the mirror, like, like yep. you know, look into your eyes when you look into a mirror. And can you look in your eyes and see reflected back at you a person who's at peace, a person who enjoys? I love who I'm being. I love what I'm choosing. I love the choices I'm making. That is huge. I only have one guiding principle for myself, 
because it takes care of everything. I go, what choices can I make that allow me to feel great about me? So anytime I have a set of choices and I go, oh, that would be really cool. That would be really fun. I need to go, am I going to be thrilled about me if I do that? Right. If I invest in that way, that sets you up really well to be able to look in the mirror and go, I am so dang proud of myself. I love how I handled that. I love the qualities that I'm demonstrating. Now, they may not be your words, but that's the gist of it. So if you can look in the mirror and go, you know what? I have a wound, but I also have these other facets. Let's just call them facets of your greatness. I also have these other qualities that I really do love about myself. But do I take the time to acknowledge them and go inside and literally feel my celebration of self? So for me, it's seeing and feeling. Because if you don't have an actual experience of something, it doesn't plant a real seed in the nervous system. All those early experiences that led to fear, shame, judgment, and decisions all came out of real experiences that we were having in those first eight years. So in order to truly turn it around, we need to begin to nurture and value and invest in the experiences that we say we want to have in a relationship. So many people go, I want my partner to value me and why don't they ever uh, compliment me and why various things that people go through. And I say, yes, you may need to have a conversation with your partner about that, but first ask yourself how you're treating you. Do you compliment, acknowledge, value, celebrate, and experience you in that way. If you do, we go back to the simple statement, you teach people how to treat you by how you treat yourself. So if you begin to do some of those things, you're gonna see you're attracting other kinds of people in. But if you have tons of negative talk, oh my God, that was so stupid, I can't believe I did that again. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, I know this from my own history. If that's the kind of thing we're putting out and then we show up and put on our best mask and go, I sure hope that they think I'm amazing. Then we're kind of repeating what we did with mommy and daddy. We're trying to figure out who we need to be so that someone else thinks we're amazing. Well, let's just look at an example like Britney Spears or any number of other celebrities. She has millions of people who adore her and think she's amazing and think she's beautiful and think, but if you back up X amount of years, a whole lot of manifestations and choices revealed she wasn't very happy with herself at all. Now I'm not picking on Britney Spears. I hope that she has made tons of progress with all that. I just choose it as an example of someone we can all relate to. And in my working with tons of famous people, I guarantee you I could have just made a long list of people who've discovered the same thing. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, 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 what do you think of these patterns of they're dating the same type of person? Like, um, I know we talked a little bit about it, but I really want to dive a little bit deeper into that and why, yep. why people do that. And um, just I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I've been seeing that a lot lately. I just want to. 
it is kind of baffling to most people that they keep attracting the same archetypes. This is how it works. You set up the lifetime, you make all these decisions about self, and then you literally recreate something similar, which gives you a perfect opportunity to face it as an adult, not from the myths of a five, six, seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. So if I imagined trying to relate to a mommy or daddy who was so unavailable emotionally, you'd be baffled how many people describe in their sessions with me, yeah, neither parent really. Even if they say someone was nurturing, they go, they weren't really emotionally available. They didn't really talk about feelings. They didn't teach me how to recognize my feelings. So if you had a parent who was emotionally unavailable, you decided my goal is to prove to that person who's emotionally unavailable that I actually am lovable and we find, oh, I need to find out who I need to be. Well, little do we understand, we become addicted to that agenda and then we bring it into our adult life and we literally are attracted, we're addicted to the archetype of the emotionally unavailable, the person who doesn't really know how to value me. And people go, if they would just change, if they would just open up, then I could be happier. And I go, maybe. It's one half of the equation. I wish that for you. I hope that for you. But let me just ask you a quick question. Have you ever had someone who was truly interested in you and who really couldn't get enough of you? And they'll be like, yeah, it was kind of overbearing and I was kind of bored. This is because I don't even know how to allow a true loving connection until I learn how to go in and go, wait a minute, this was my setup. I'm attracting the same thing. Now I could, if I build a sense of self on the inside, work it out at least to some degree if the other person also becomes willing to grow with me. Right. But none of it is going to be a magical solution until I'm connected and valuing myself. Because even if I go, oh, from the unavailable to the one who's all over me and can't get enough of me, okay, I can do that. And you just shift there without healing the inner and learning how, you won't allow it in. It won't touch you. You'll be irritated and antagonized in a new way. But let me add, great news. I work with tons of couples, tons. And if both people show up willing to learn about self, willing to nurture and invest in self in a deeper way, then the privilege of sharing the journey of better and better and better into a kind of intimacy that is not just physical, but becomes emotional allies, is the grand prize. I watch it every single day. I know that that's entirely what is possible. It is the way I relate to all my relationships, not just my primary one. And I invest in this way. And the ones who are willing to match me, profound, deep, meaningful connection. 
That's such a great point. I mean, also, too, when you're thinking about, oh, we're going to talk a little bit about fear-based mindset, too, um, why people <laughs> get fearful of being open up. But I want first, I want to talk about, you talk about being emotionally unavailable. And I think that for women, they feel like, well, these guys are, you know, they've been taught, like, you know, don't show emotion, don't, don't care, don't, you know, no intimacy, like you're, you know, that's another thing you're going through your whole life, not knowing what love really is or how to love. I mean, so how can we kind of break that cycle and, and create that emotionally available that partners want also and uh, the intimacy to help to create intimacy in a relationship? So let's start with this emotional part. Let's give all of the listeners who are here a chance to evaluate where are you right now, today, in your own emotional connection. So I'd like for you to literally take 10 seconds and see if you can name five feelings that you're actually feeling right now in this moment. And we're gonna give you 10 seconds of silence to do that. Most people discover that they aren't very connected to their own feelings in this moment that I'm in. Don't know how to even have much emotional vocabulary, much less how comfortable do you feel to say those feelings out loud. And if you were here live with us on the show, would you feel safe to say, right now I feel connected, willing, open, seen, courageous, touched, moved. Those are authentic feelings that I'm feeling right now sharing with you. So if you didn't learn, if you were not encouraged how to connect to your own emotional energy, how to then bring it up, feel it, express it, and release it, then you don't have emotional intimacy with yourself. Now, a lot of times when people get frustrated and angry and they're like, I was a la, 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 into a relationship, they think they're expressing their feelings. And to some degree, yes, that is true. But oftentimes, if we're really honest, it equals I'm acting my feelings out. I am not knowing what to do to nurture and resolve them. And so I put them out to my partner, or if I feel particularly vulnerable, I'll put it out there and want them to do something to fix it or take it away. We are much more enmeshed in this codependency than most people have necessarily wanted to admit. But if you learn how to nurture your own feelings, and then I come to Jen in this moment and I say, Jen, right now I'm feeling vulnerable and I just wanted you to know me. I just wanted to share this moment so we can connect in this moment. I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to take it away. I just wanna know that you care and that we can connect this authentically. Right. Then I teach people how to communicate not only what they're feeling, but what do you need? And I usually start with three distinct simple things. Do you need just to be heard? You'd be amazed how often people just wanna be heard. Don't give me lots of advice. 
Don't make me wrong. Don't tell me I don't need to feel that way. Don't tell me there's nothing to be sad about. I just need a safe place to admit that I feel that way. So do I just need to be heard or do I need to be hugged or held in some way because connection and affection are two of the nine nurturing needs that every single person needs. I may have talked myself out of it, but that's crap. Every single person needs that. I'm gonna give a quick example as a male energy. My father was a warrior archetype. He never allowed vulnerability or emotion or, I mean, just literally type A warrior. In his last two years of his life, he ended up needing to have his right leg removed up at the uh, upper leg level oh, wow. because of a uh, circulation issue. I was so thrilled when he turned to me in the hospital and said, would you just touch me? Oh, wow. So dang powerful. Yeah. I've been waiting my whole life for him to be in touch with that. And I was like, dad, of course, my gosh, we're right here. We love you. We care about you. But he wasn't open to it before. Right. We need it. We all need it. And we don't need to wait until there's a crisis in order to have that. So do I need to be heard? Do I need some kind of affection? Or do I need some feedback? Because I don't really know what choices I really would consider here. I'd love to hear what your suggestions would be, not tell me what to do. What are some suggestions? Let's explore this together. If you have those three options and the capacity to share your feelings without making someone responsible for them, unfriggin' believable. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I think um, where it stems for people getting fights and they're like, well, you don't hear me. Well, you don't hear me. And it, and it comes from this whole repetitive cycle. And then people get in that fear-based mindset, right? They're thinking, okay, well, I've made all these mistakes before. I can't date. I'll never be able to find love. You know, I'm just not going to put myself out there. And it is this fear because maybe you went through something, you know, really hard, really difficult in your past. Uh, and so, you know, you're trying to keep that you in your little box, right? So let's chat about your thoughts on that. Just not getting those nine nurturing needs. I know I seem like I'm hammering that. No, I like it. It is so pivotal to every single solution. And if we did not get, let me name what the nine nurturing needs are since I keep saying them. Safety, connection, affection, acknowledgement, acceptance, compassion, clear guidance, support, and encouragement. If we got those in a consistent way, then we would have learned to receive them in the first stage of just receiving. Mm -hmm. Then we would have been taught how to identify them and how to begin to give those experiences to ourselves. How can I treat myself how can I connect to myself? How can I acknowledge with compassion myself? If we learn to then take over, then we're prepared for some of the steps that we just mentioned. Right. But if I didn't get those, then we become frozen in the stage where it was mommy and daddy's job to offer that to me. 
So even though I become a 25, 35, 45-year-old, my nervous system can still be frozen in the stage of looking out to mommy-daddy replacements in my primary relationships. And it's your job to make me feel safe. And it's your job to acknowledge me. And it's your, you see. And if I make it your job, you're going to resent. Number one, you probably don't know what the nine nurturing needs are for yourself, or you would already be practicing them. So we come together as two wounded individuals, not as two adults. And we go, you, no, you have to, no, you, somebody's got to come up with the goods. You're the reason I'm not fulfilled. No, no, you're a part of the equation. I like to say there are four people in every relationship. Oh, okay. Hopefully two adults who are willing to show up and learn and grow and take responsibility. And then two wounded children inside the self, which are literally frozen parts of the nervous system. And if I'm an adult, I need to know how to have a relationship with all three of the other parts. I need to know how to relate to you, the adult. And I also need to hold a space to negotiate the wounded part of ourselves. I'm not responsible for yours, but I can certainly be responsible to yours, treating you with respect and encouraging that this is a safe place to have a learning curve. That is a profound relationship. Yeah, and and I think we. I want to go back to a great story that I love. Um, when I first met you at camp, when you were we walking by, and there's like 10, 15 people. You guys are all just sitting around talking. I was like, well, this looks interesting. I'm gonna go over here and take a gander, right? And uh, but when you were sitting down, and you know, you're talking about that the wounded inner child, and what would you say to that child? And also, and you know, one of my favorite things you said too is like hugs. So, and I thought it was so interesting that when people hug. Um, you said that they hold their breath. And so, and I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then when you tried it out and everyone did, <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh. So let's talk about that. Absolutely. It is shocking how the early decision does not allow me to be nearly as available as my conscious mind would like to believe I am. Yeah. And so people come together. Try this if you're listening today. Try this experiment. I can guarantee you what the result's going to be, but have your own discovery. That's super important. When you go to hug someone, let them come to you to hug. And I guarantee you, I'm going to hit my microphone here. They're going to come with their right arm over and your right arm. And so it literally puts us like this. Well, my heart's over here and it's going to, put us as far away from each other's hearts as possible. The Mm -hmm. left side of the body is the receptive side of the body. Write that down. (laughs) The left side of the body is the receptive side of the body. Now imagine going in to hug someone this way with your receptive side open. Just that alone is gonna feel awkward. Well, if you have somebody you know really well, say, can we do an experiment? And then ask if you can hug and put your faces so that the left side of your faces are what touch or are near each other. 
and the left arm is over and their left arm is over you, so they're also open. Guarantee you, this is what it's gonna look like. And everyone will stop breathing, even if you do a right-armed hug. Why? Why are, they, why are they doing that? Everybody stops breathing to put an energetic wall up between me and you. Why? Because in those first years, when we were learning about safety, yeah. connection, and affection, Nobody was energetically modeling this safe flow of energy between you and me. Everybody without knowing it, there's no blame and shame here. Everybody without knowing it was putting up their mask and showing up. And I love you, this little baby. I'm so here for you. But I can't transcend what I've learned. If I only got a third grade emotional education, I can't bring college level depth to what I offer you. Let me give you a quick example of that. I need to build a jet engine. I need you to teach me. Go. Uh, this is a real question. <laughs> jet but it's a real. Parts, you find some mechanics, <laughs> what they're doing, <laughs> and some tools. This is literally how people are with yeah. needing to show up and nurture us when we're born. And yeah. then in those first eight years, they do their best and they show up and they have the greatest intentions, just yeah. like all of us did when we got in our last relationship. But you can only go as far as your comfort zone has been built. Right. And so if my parents didn't model this breathing, relaxed flow of energy, then you're not likely to hug someone without repeating the same limit. So when you hug somebody the next time, pay attention to yourself and then tune in to them. If you even hug them long enough to pay attention. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And breathing. So when you're, cause that was the other thing you were talking about. So let's talk about that. So if I'm with someone who's either a client or someone that I know really well, I'm gonna come in and hug them. I'll do the right over, the right arm over if that's what they're most natural with. I don't need to control the person and go, wait a minute, we're gonna do the left over. No, I'll hug either way. Right. But what's important is an intention of really allowing connection. So if I have a client I know mm -hmm. or someone I have already established a real connection with in my life, and thank God there are tons. Yeah. I'm gonna come together and hug, and I will purposefully take a breath. Now, I may not make that audible sound. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it to demonstrate. Right. Out breath is a surrender into an experience. So you can just do it through your nose if you choose. This is a bigger surrender out the mouth then it's gonna allow me to be in a more fulfilling connection with you. Right. And let me just at least stay there for two, three seconds. Now, if I'm with a client, I'll do where I teach people and I'll be in that for 30 seconds and we'll talk about it while we're hugging because there is no threat when there's a mutual choice right. to be in a hug. Right. But it does challenge the edge of the familiar comfort zone. Well, that's the whole point. Right. Let's show each other how safe we can be, just like when I hugged you at camp.
and we discover, wow, not once in 20 plus years of teaching this have I ever discovered one person that was finding a threat in these new nurturing expansions. Yeah. So just pay attention when you hug someone, whether they're breathing or not. Now don't control them unless you- You are not leaving me until you breathe. <laughs> yeah. You just show up and breathe and they're gonna feel a more relaxed, nurturing you. Hello, Eve. How are you? <laughs> We're talking about hugs. You, you tuned in at the right time. We're talking about all about hugs. <laughs> so, it's so important that we plant seeds and that you pay attention to what is already habitual. And then you introduce a layer at a time, something more fulfilling. And hugs are just one example if you're breathing and intend to connect your heart to another person. Yeah. So there's some hug. There's the, I mean, hugs. Everybody loves hugs. I know. It was, it was so I read somewhere, you know, with your kids, especially like, can't love on it, like, love them enough and hug them enough. And someone said, wait till they let go. Like, keep hugging them until they let go. Yeah, so that's. You can feel the natural relaxation when somebody's yeah. had enough and you've hit the edge of their comfort zone or what they prefer in that moment. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, mom. Like, he's getting older. I was like, 10. He's like, then he's like, can I have a hug? You know? <laughs> Exactly like what my dad in at 80 discovered. Mm -hmm. Can you please touch me? Yeah. And then he wanted that presence to stay because it was a vulnerable moment. So yeah. we need different things at different times. The point is to become aware of you and what do you need and how much do you need? And then be clear. Don't make somebody wrong because they can't read your mind. Right. Nobody can read somebody else's mind in every minute. Right. We learn each other. We learn each other's love modes. But it's so important to take responsibility to let others know. I really just need to be heard. I'd love a hug or I'd love to explore and get some feedback. Okay, so we yes, we have one question from Annie. She says, so if you hug from the left side, are you controlling the other person or better connecting with them? Well, like anything, if you're going to do something that's different than someone's habitual, you might say instead, I've just learned this thing on this show with this crazy guy. Can it's we do an experiment? Great information. Okay. <laughs> I'm just playing. Can, can we do an experiment? If you know them well enough, just ask. That's why I pointed out that if, if they go to hug on the right side, I hug on the right side. Yeah. I do it all the time but I purposefully stretch my clients to hug with the left side open. Like, can you start back? Like have you come and be like, Hey, okay. So you'll automatically have them. If you lead the yeah. hug, you can see, but I can almost guarantee you they're going to go, what guy? Cause nobody's used to it. It's if, a great conversation starter. Just saying. Yeah. And then you can go, I was just listening to this interview. And so hug me, hug me. Hashtag and that. Hashtag hug me. Exactly. <laughs> and if it's somebody you really like, then experiment three or four different ways. Okay. <laughs> I love it. We got people going around DC hugging people. I mean, we all need it. Trust me. But what I loved at camp is that once I spoke to those 15 to 20 people, they started teaching other people at camp and it started spreading. Yes. When we I were Mark Gutman, same thing. There's, oh my God, it was so funny. It's hilarious. So great. So when we refer to camp, it's Maverick 1000. 
a group of business entrepreneurs who wanted to discuss relationships and hugging. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, at least 50% of them were men. So don't, ladies, feel like, well, my guy will never, ever, if it's a chance to have a deeper connection with you, guarantee you there will be some willingness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love hugs? Hello. <laughs> People that are in a vulnerable moment and learned as children, it's not safe when I'm vulnerable. Right. Well, you can know that it is safe when you're vulnerable, but honor what the other person may be saying. I just need you to be with me, not necessarily to hug me in this moment. Work toward that. So the question was a great one. Am I controlling the other person? No, don't control the other person. Don't should on them. Don't require of them, but begin conversations and explore. It's such a great way to share the journey and the learning curve. Yeah, I think that's so true too, because then you could, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, you could like sit down this and say like, have you heard of the hashtag hug me challenge? They don't know, you know, and, <laughs> and they don't know. Maybe we just created it, right? That's yeah. the hashtag hug me challenge. And, idea. Maybe I will actually put that online and it can become a thing. Yeah, why not? I mean, we talked about it. Hello. We're challenging everybody to do that, right? Do the hashtag hug me challenge. Yep. Um, write that down and do that later for you. Ron <laughs> and I talked about it. But it would be a really good conversation to start because then you're getting to really to know and that it creates that bonding experience too. Because especially if you've never done that before, that creates in your memory, okay, well, like I learned how to really hug someone. So they're all that person's always going to be in my memory. There you go. There you go. I can tell you how many people at camp said to me, I so appreciate that we made a real connection in that one conversation that we had. That's when true. When we finished camp, 70 out of 100 people reached out. Absolutely. I was so blown away. Yeah. I know. I always, when I saw you, because, you know, it's very open there. So we had like 100 people. I mean, you see like you connecting, talking. And I think that's what we were saying earlier. I was like, I have Camp Maverick withdrawal. You know, I'm like, why can't I hang out with these people all day long? Their life would be so much uh, amazing. So, but, um, but yeah, I was, uh, but that, it becomes a, creating that connection and your tribe and who you are. But also the key thing is that everybody went into, obviously, this learning experience to grow, to nurture themselves also. But the key is that, most of the people, I would say all of those people that are there are coachable. And I think that is such a huge, huge asset to be in life is to be coachable. I mean, for me, I mean, I was an athlete, you know, if it, I don't know if you if you knew that, um, played tennis. Yeah, I was. Uh, I love tennis. Yeah. So I was uh, ranked 24 in the country. And wow, congrats. That's awesome. That was a very long time ago. <laughs> congrats anyway. But, you know, for me, like that was always um, a story I always love to tell is, my dad um, was very brilliant. He was saying, okay, in order to have you have the best game, we have to have a serve coach, a volley coach, a forehand coach, backhand coach. Every area of my game had to be perfected to have the whole game win, to have it all come together. And I think it's that not like, okay, I'm just going to work on this. I'm just going to hit all forehands and I'm going to have this, I'm going to nail my forehand. Well, chances are somebody gets a hold of it. They're like, okay, that your weakness is your backhand. And I'm just going to keep hitting the backhand and, and until you ended up losing. Where if you put the time in to do all these key nine steps from run to, right, your nine nurturing needs, yeah. you would 
you would be fulfilled. So, I mean, like you said, there's so much information out there too, but um, I want to talk to you about the meditation. I'm going to put it in the notes too, that you offer to clients and he's been so nice to offer it um, to my audience here too. So I'm going to put it in the notes here real quick. Yeah, I actually, while you put it in the notes, I'll talk yeah. about it. Uh, I actually created a couple of guided meditations just for this interview today. Um, it is about how to create a deeper connection or relationship to self is mm -hmm. the first one. Yeah. And then how to take a powerful step to prepare for fulfilling relationships with others. So there are two guided meditations. You'll give the link. You can also find it at ronbaker.net. If you just go to the home page and hit that opening button at the top of the page, I made it live for this, for people who are listening to the interview and yeah. want to follow up. But the most direct way will be the link that you're putting. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. I just, computer awesome. being sassy. So it, it helps to have a guided meditation. Why? Because meditation is simpler than most people imagine. For me, meditation means nothing more than inner focus. Mm -hmm. So anytime you shift your focus from out here to inside self, you are meditating. Yeah. The goal is to be aware of yourself on the inside most of the time. Right. So I have provided a couple of ways for you to begin to practice that I will take you step by step by step into an experience of yourself. Nurturing, connection, discovery, awareness that will enhance that relationship, which will color all the other ones. So yeah. I hope one of you will come and listen. Oh yeah, and I'll share it again too when we get uh, on here because I, I want to make sure I dive in. I want to get a couple things um, on here talking about your bioenergy healing because I think meditation when you talk about that you're getting your mindset right. So you know, getting into that focused area and and but also let's talk about the because I was curious to see I was like, what is this bio uh, bioenergy healing? Mm -hmm. The official term for it is bioenergetics, and people go, you're a bioenergetics therapist? What in the heck is that? It's just a fancy term for getting in touch with how you use your energy. So if we talked about getting a certain set of experiences initially and then creating a distinct comfort zone based on my fear, shame, and judgment that I learned when mommy, daddy didn't know how to provide those nine nurturing needs, then I guarantee you stopping the breath and doing a really shallow breath are two distinct ways that you begin to shift physically. Yeah. Energetically, you also grip. So there are three primary diaphragms in the body. One is the throat, tongue, jaw. One is the solar plexus below the rib cage, and the other is the sphincter muscle at the butt, at the base of the spine. All three of those are meant to move energy up and down the body, keeping us alive and moving. Mm -hmm. But when we don't feel safe, we grip and close off. Mm. There are many ways, that's just the first most primary way. There are many ways that someone grips and defends and then puts on that mask. Yeah. Bioenergetics is the study or the awareness of how you bio body energetically 
defend yourself. In the system that I teach, there are five primary defense types. Each one defends differently. Some people don't feel safe to be in their body and they do one thing. Other people don't feel safe to be seen and they do another thing like a turtle shell where they sink. Other people put up an energy facade that says, admire me through the glass case and all different ways. Well, if you learn how you're defending and you learn how to nurture yourself, then you can literally shift how you practice that movement of energy and you will have more vitality, more health. As an example, I've only had like three colds in 25 years. Oh. No sickness, no sickness. Why? Because of the movement of energy in my body. When you have the movement of energy, you have proactive health. It's mm -hmm. a remarkable thing. My clients discover this all the time. I had one person say to me, I was typically sick about three times a year. Yeah. And since I've been spending time doing this and integrating, I've only been sick maybe twice in five, six years. Right, wow. Are they drinking green juice too? No. <laughs> yeah, all of those things. You said putting your forehand, your backhand, yeah. your net game, et cetera. Right. So you want to nurture yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, and spiritually. All of those are going to be defended in particular ways. So if you can learn to feel safe loving you and valuing you, then you're going to feel safe to share you with the people you decide to share yourself. It's really, really cool thing. That's awesome. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay, so um, so we're I can't believe the hour's almost up <laughs> so fast. No, no idea. Yeah. It really is crazy. It really is. So we have to do part two because I only got through four questions out of it. Uh, <laughs> good. Talker, sorry. No, I want this information because I really want to dive down deep into it because I don't I, I mean this is a a problem like keep continually seeing. So yeah. I want to make sure that we help help everybody by that. So I want to want to have you back for round two. Ooh, <laughs> so awesome. yeah. That'd be great. Um okay so Ron, so tell us some of the projects you're working on and how everybody can get in touch with you. So the easiest way is through ronbaker.net. I wanted ronbaker.com but it's a car dealership that wouldn't sell. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then there are plenty of ways to plug in there. One of those is my podcast, which is called Empowered at Last. I love that. Another is my Facebook Live, which I named the same thing, Empowered at Last, just to keep it a consistent thing. And I explore all kinds of practical, simple tools that you can use to give you clues and hints. And then if you really want to do a deep dive, then there are ways to get more involved through the online courses, such as Claiming Your Authentic Self, where we talk about building abundance, intimacy, and proactive health much more fully, and how to go deep within that map that I just named. Yeah, I know. I love that. And, you know, make sure you guys, um, I want to I see the comments back when you do the meditation. So I'm going to do it. And then get, write your comments in there. Share with your friends if you found this to be helpful. I learned a lot in this episode of the best damn lunch you learn ever with Ron Baker. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. And please, all of you listening, if you have things you want me to answer or cover in the podcast that are coming, 
That is my favorite thing is when I'm answering something specific, I would be more than happy. Any subject is on the table, any subject. So whatever you'd like me to explore, please put it out there. Reach out to me from the website. Awesome. Yay. All right, guys. Have a great week. We will see you next time. Thank you, Jane. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. See ya.